Hello, everybody, and welcome to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show. My name is Adam Homie, and I am your host, and I'm so glad that you made the decision to join us today. Now, as we say, our listeners are business creators, and our listeners fall into one of four different categories, or perhaps one or more of four different categories. The first category are entrepreneurs, small business owners, and local business owners. And what we're going to cover today applies to about 99% of you. We have our marketing and business coaches. We have our folks who help others build their businesses, the ones who are the business creators who help others realize their dreams. And on the other side of that coin, we have the fourth category, the do-it-yourselfers who love to have your own hands on the marketing levers and grow your businesses. If you are one or more of the above, please take a moment, explore episodes, and discover how our experts can help you win at the game of business and marketing at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Also check us out on iTunes. Every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators just like you. And we update iTunes every week with fresh, valuable content. Today, we are going to talk about how to avoid three massive mistakes that most creative entrepreneurs make that destroy their chances of breaking through to six figures. Basically what this boils down to is creative types become entrepreneurs, and I think that applies to about 99% of us. We become entrepreneurs, we become business creators because we view ourselves as being the creative type, those who have ideas, inspirations, we have our brilliance. But what happens, unfortunately, is way too often that brilliance fails to translate into bucks. Uh, we're going to talk about why that happens, the three massive mistakes and how to overcome those. And to help us navigate, we have with us once again the one and only Minette Riordan. Minette, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be back on your show today. Absolutely. So let me just tell our listeners a little bit about you. Minette started her entrepreneurial career in high school. Her money-making enterprise ranged from the usual babysitting jobs to creating a stained glass window for a local restaurant, a hobby I may take up one of these days myself. I have <laughs> looked into it. Creativity has always played a major role in Minette's life, but it's taken her years of trial and error to find her true calling and understand how to market herself. Minette is an award-winning entrepreneur and marketing expert with 14 years' experience in the fields of marketing and sales. She's successfully built a multimedia publishing company Company in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex, turning a small quarterly newspaper into a monthly magazine with a circulation of over 50,000. Three years ago, she sold that business to pursue her passions of coaching, speaking, and writing. She's the author of the best-selling book, The Artful Marketer, The Fundamental Business Guide for Creative Entrepreneurs. She lives in sunny Santa Barbara, California, probably almost as sunny as Las Vegas, where it's sunny every day, with her husband of 18 years, two teens, and a talkative cat named Phoebe. I would love to meet Phoebe. Learn more about her at her website, which is located on the profile at businesscreatorsradioshow.com. Minette, let's get started, shall we? Awesome, let's go. Before we do that, I know that there's a reason why you share this topic with us, why we're talking about creative entrepreneurs and how they destroy their chances of breaking through to six figures. So in your own words, can you kind of tell us what has led you to become passionate about this topic and helping others? 
Yeah, mostly because I am one of those creative entrepreneurs. (laughs) And and I know we're going to talk in a minute about, you know, how I define a creative entrepreneur. But when I built my first business, I made every mistake that you could make. And I built a huge six-figure company that made a lot of money. But nobody told me, Adam, that I needed to be paying myself. And so I was working so hard. And at the end of the day, didn't really have a lot to show with it. Because I wasn't dialed into the money. It was never about the money. I thought, oh, this will be fun. I need something to do. My kids are little. You know, I need this information. A parenting magazine would be a great idea. There's lots of families in my community. I'm sure they want the information too. And so I dove right in. And the mistakes that I'm going to share in a few minutes are all ones that I made personally. And as I started my coaching business, and started working with dozens and dozens of clients. I found they were all making those same mistakes. And so I've become super passionate about helping other creative entrepreneurs to build profitable businesses without having to go through some of the money roller coaster um, and crazy challenges that you know my I'm, I'm, that I experience and I'm seeing my clients experience as well. Right. Yeah. I as I as I mentioned, I think that what we're going to be talking about today applies to about 99% of entrepreneurs. It's the same thing that drives us to entrepreneurship that puts us in this pickle. And I myself have been in this pickle myself, so I'm going to be glad to be sharing this with our community. In fact, it's really just last year that I figured out a lot of this stuff for myself, so it's not as easy as it sounds. And we're not talking about that random person. Uh, you know, We had somebody we were speaking with in our business about – five or six years ago, who came to us. Uh, they wanted uh, help with implementing some landing pages, back when we used to do a whole lot of that back in the day. And whenever we would do something like that, we would also review the content and review the plan that the client had come up with, and we would find ways to improve it. It was part of the deal. Now, this client came to us and said they absolutely did not want any of our consultative advice. All they wanted us to do was to do what we were told, which already disqualified them as a client. <laughs> but I stuck around just long enough to hear what was going on here. So I asked some of the basic questions, just the check-in questions to make absolutely sure they weren't making the biggest mistake of their life. And one of the things I said was, well, what market research have you done to uh, figure out whether or not this is something that people would bite down on and could become a very lucrative stream of income for you? And she said, well, I asked five of my friends and they all think it's a great idea. Mm-hmm. Now, be- now, because we recognize that as the joke behind market research, I was almost having a very difficult time believing my ears, and I tried not to laugh, but that really was her serious answer. She asked five of her friends, and they all thought it was a great idea. Hmm. So when I reiterated the part about how we wanted to uh, check in with her language and review things and see what we could do to help her put a spin on it to really make it a more effective, higher-converting landing pages, because we're used to getting pretty high conversion rates on the landing pages that we write for our clients. Uh, We were just going to review her content a little bit. She said, listen carefully. Don't change a word. Just do what I tell you. The light beam has come, and and I'm not making this up, the light beam has come down from the heavens and has placed Mm. the words on the paper using my hand and my arm as the vessel. Do not argue (laughs) with the gods. I just need somebody to do what I tell them. And I said, well, I hope you find that person. Good luck. Mm -hmm. Now, 
that is a version of creativity, and I believe that there's a lot more to the world than what we see consciously. I'm very much a believer in things like uh, reincarnation and the presence of spirits and that we live multiple existences and all other kinds of things that some people may call new agey, because I've seen for myself that some of these things exist. But um, that was a definition of creative that I just shared with you that does not really play in business at all. You don't ask five of your friends and they tell you it's a great idea because what are they going to do? They're going to tell you it sucks and you don't talk about light beams and things like that and have that be a replacement to smart business sense. That's not what we're talking about when we're talking about being creative. We're talking about, for our purposes today, the level of creativity that drives us to recognize we need to do something different than the norm so we start our own businesses. Agreed? Yes. And that, and that's about 80 to 95 that's about between 80 and 99% of us. And I place myself in that category as well and I've gone through some of these struggles. So, what I'd like to do here is I'd just like to ask that famous question that we ask all of our guests because we provide the tools, techniques and strategies to help entrepreneurs quickly grow their businesses. And a lot of our listeners tell me they have everything that they need to implement that any of our guest experts including you, including from your previous appearance with us, offer them except for time and money. Now, as I said, this is a question we ask every expert who appears not only because we like the variety of different answers, but the variety of different ways that the question is interpreted. So how do time and money affect what you're going to share with us today about the massive mistakes that we make in business when it comes to creativity? I love that question because I would say that what we're going to talk about today has everything to do with time and money. And I frequently <laughs> find that people don't know how they're spending their time um, and that they're wasting a lot more time than they think they are and they're working way too hard without getting anything done. And when it comes to money, I understand having been there myself, ridden that roller coaster how hard it can be to generate income, enough income so you feel like you can hire help in your business so you can grow some more. You know, it's it's a finicky game of fine-tuning, fine-tuning, I would say, and knowing when to take the leap to invest in your business. Uh, mm-hmm. And underneath both the, the time and the money for me is um, mindset, right? Really looking at what is your mindset about success? What's your mindset about money and your relationship to money? Because if you don't have the right mindset, you'll never be successful as an entrepreneur. And a lot of people talk about mindset in the entrepreneurial community. And especially when people are starting out, I think they tend to poo-poo it. But, you know, I was doing an online course today from somebody else, and one of the questions they asked was, how do you define success? And for me, the definition of success is having more time and more money, freedom and flexibility are, you know, really what I'm after. So what we're going to talk about today is related directly to how to have more time and more money in your business and to stop working so hard and to recapture some of the freedom and flexibility that you got into being an entrepreneur for in the first place. That's very true. And to develop even further, as I backed off from my extreme episode of what we think of as creativity and moved to something I think a lot of us face all the time, the same thing that enables me to create landing page copy that can get 50 to 60% conversion rates or higher, or to develop email copy that doubles open rates and click-through rates, that same level of creativity can sometimes for some people, become a detriment to what we need to do when we focus on how we turn our brilliance into bucks. 
So what I would like if you could do for me right now is tell me what we mean by a creative entrepreneur. It's a great question because it is kind of a broad category. And while you say that, you know, uh, 99% of entrepreneurs might consider themselves creative, there are certainly plenty of entrepreneurs who are not the definition that I'm going to give you right now and okay. fall into a, you know, completely different category. So when I say a creative entrepreneur, they tend to be visual and kinesthetic learners. They are not necessarily um, auditory. They're not detail-oriented. They consider themselves to be right-brained, not left-brained. They're so full of ideas all the time that they can barely contain them. They tend to see connections between people and ideas that other people don't see. So they're differently, they think differently than other types of people and entrepreneurs. They consider themselves to be super creative, both in their work and in their life. Passionate, I would say that most entrepreneurs are passionate, and if they're not, they're in the wrong business. Um, one of the biggest things is that they're because they're not linear thinkers, because they're very visual learners, they really struggle with structure and systems and traditional types of planning and strategy. So when it comes to something like writing a landing page, there is a science and, you know, often a mathematics behind that that their brains really don't connect with, and that's why they need somebody like you to help them with that. They tend to be incredibly collaborative. Working alone can be so isolating and painful, although we also have the opposite extreme. We certainly have creative entrepreneurs who love being at home and creating whatever it is they do, whether they're in the service industry, artists, graphic designer, web designers can be super creative other coaches, consultants, they love being at home doing their work. But because they love being at home doing their work, they're not out doing the things they need to do to grow their business. So they find a lot of the aspects of building a business to be pretty frustrating and painful. Creating budgets, selling themselves is really scary. Um, Social media can be super intimidating. Writing a business plan, you know, all of those things are that, you know, kind of element, and this has been said so many times, and I think it's still so important, and I think maybe Michael Gerber in the E-Myth was the one who made it famous, but these, in a lot of ways, are those technicians that are so busy working in their business All they want to do is the work they love, and they forget that they have to work on their business from a bigger global perspective. They need a roadmap. They need to know where they're going. And they get so caught up in chasing bright, shiny ideas that they forget to pay attention to where they're going. Right. Precisely. And I appreciate you kind of spelling that out for us so we understand what we mean by a creative entrepreneur. Now, is it true I think I heard you say this somewhere that only 6% of women-owned businesses ever reach six, six figures. Yeah, so it's, it's a really um, sad statistic for me, Adam. So when I was um, writing my book, The Artful Marketer, I was doing I, – I happen to be a creative entrepreneur who loves demographics and statistics. Right. I find that fascinating to read. And so um, when I was doing research for my book, looking just at the United States alone, there's over 10 million women-owned businesses in the United States, which is awesome. It's incredible that so many women are starting their own businesses, and it's one of the fastest-growing sectors in the small business industry still today, and that's just the United States. But of those 10 million businesses, only 6% ever reach the six-figure mark. And even sadder, only 2% ever reach the seven-figure mark, and 50% of those businesses never exceed $25,000 in revenue in their business. And now I want to just, you know, um, add some color to that because 
I do know lots of women who are starting businesses to add supplemental income to the family. Not everybody wants to build a six-figure business. For some people, that additional $25,000 a year in revenue is what they need and want for their family. They're committed to raising their kids and being at home. I was when I started my first business. I didn't want to be working full-time. I wanted to be really present for my kids and not have them in daycare full-time. It was a personal choice that I made the impact of business growth. But I also know that there are hundreds of thousands of women business owners out there really struggling to get to that first 50,000, to get to the first 100,000. And it is because they are so creative and because they are often home-based, they're juggling so many different balls and they don't always know what they need to pay attention to first. And they tend to fall back into what they're comfortable doing instead of stretching and taking some of those risks that are going to help you make some of those bigger financial leaps in your business. Right. Yeah. You know, I, I found this pretty interesting myself. I looked into some mastermind programs and coaching programs out there that talk about taking you to the next level and making this your best year ever, your best year ever and all those other cliches. And when I looked at the fine print details of some of those, the promise of many of them that you would think on the surface you have to be like a multimillionaire with an American Express diamond card to even be considered for the opportunity to fill out the application to be looked at <laughs> to join these things. They state among their goals for you to break you into the six figures within the first 12 months. Mm-hmm. And, here, and here I was, I thought, with my six-figure business that I was just kind of scraping by. And, uh, and uh, contrary to that, it turns out there are a lot of businesses out there that would view actually cracking that six-digit as being a huge milestone in their growth towards ultimate success. It is, Adam. And, and again, you know, it's a mindset shift. You know, if you – and especially if you come from a career where you were a teacher, an educator, a therapist, a nurse – and maybe your income, like I worked with a woman who was a, a librarian and, and wanted to, um, and she did, start her own craft business around uh, quilting. She was making $60,000 a year uh, working in the school system as an educator and a librarian. You know, it's a, it's a really good salary. But for her to get from, in her own business, zero to 60, and then that mindset shift to get from 60 was her income ceiling, right? So to push through and break through your own income ceiling to then reach the six-figure mark. And then once you get through your first six figures, there's all these milestones. You know, it feels huge to go from then 100 to, say, 250 or half a million. And so much of it is um, about understanding both the foundations that need to be in place as well as the mindset that comes into play when we really talk about our relationship with money. I think that we do, and I think my generation, I don't know how old you are, I'm 50, but my generation, you know, my stepdad was a, you know, a child of the depression, right? So there's right. all those cultural stories impact. And there's also this um, belief that we have to work hard to make money and we have to deserve to make money. And so we have all these myths that we've been raised with that have to be debunked in order for us to really um, free ourselves to be able to make the money that we want to make. And if you only want to make 25 or 50 or 100, great. There, there's no right or wrong to this. Uh, to me, it's all about making sure that you really understand exactly how much you want to create, how much money you want to create, how much success you want to create, and make it happen. Right. That right there. We're taught this whole thing about 
working hard. Uh, when I was coming up in the world, I was told, study hard, get good grades, get into a good school, uh, participate in all these extracurricular activities to pad out your resume and study hard and work hard and get good grades and, and the path to riches will open up. Well, it didn't quite happen that way. Um, I kind of stumbled into riches actually. It's kind of funny how that worked, but, uh, and riches, of course, being a relative term, but let's just say it was, let's just say it was dollar amounts I was not told to expect while I was in school. Let's just put it that way. Now, because we equate working hard and putting in lots of time and this illusion of being productive with success, and I catch myself doing this sometimes as well. I may be in front of my computer allegedly doing work stuff for eight hours, and then I look at how much of this was actually billable work or work directly pertaining to projects, and I say, well, that 45 minutes, that's it. I've been here all day. <laughs> so we lull ourselves into believing that success and working hard are somehow inextricably linked. When I know that I see, when I know that I'm in the presence of an entrepreneur in crisis, here's how I can always tell who they are. And here's how I can usually tell that they're relatively recently out of having a job and into having their own business. You see the person uh, that seems to be running about 25 million miles an hour. Their cell phone is always glued to their ear. Um, and you can tell that there's urgency in the conversation. They're using a lot of words that I'm not even sure they themselves understand. Uh, they have their written planner in one hand, their smartphone in the other. They're comparing the two while they're rushing through some conversation. They're the ones that whenever you're at a checkout line at a supermarket, a restaurant, a coffee shop, or what have you, will be continuing the conversation while they're waiting in line because if they're not constantly having these business telephone calls, they're not really working. The idea of uh, of actually sitting back and reading over some stuff that might help their clients or their business isn't really clienty business work. So therefore it's not the same as being successful. So how can they reach the mm-hmm. big bucks? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it and it is. That's a it's a hard shift to make so, to go from having an eight to five job, a nine to five job or a nine to ten job, you know, right. where you're uh, working sixty, eighty hours a week to suddenly being an entrepreneur and understanding exactly what you need to be doing every day. I think the biggest um, challenge that new entrepreneurs face is understanding how much time they need to spend marketing their business as opposed to doing their actual business. When you're first starting out, you're going to spend 90% of your time marketing. And Adam, I'm going to be the first one to say the biggest mistake I see new entrepreneurs make is thinking they can build their business from sitting at home behind their computer and do it all through social media. And you can't. You have to get out and meet people and start telling people what you're doing. Right. I teach this thing called discussion group game. And it's all it's all about selling without selling within discussion Mm -hmm. groups on Facebook and LinkedIn. And what's so cool about my version of discussion group game that we help our clients achieve in their own businesses and their own marketing is you don't have to really think so hard. You don't have to (laughs) work on copy or anything else. There's a magic and a formula to this. It's just absolutely brilliant. And it's one of the easiest things you can do. And yet when you do it the right way, it is one of the best ways to book new clients, 
build your list. I mean, I, I did a training course on this just very recently on Discussion Group Game, and half the people who registered for my free training on Dis- Discussion Group Game are people I had met in Discussion Groups, but yet not once in any of those groups that I mentioned that I even do webinars, much less one on Discussion Group Game. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I went into those discussion groups with the intention of getting people on my free training, but I didn't mention that free training or even that I do webinars in the groups. Mm-hmm. That just shows you how simple and how much fun this stuff can be when you understand the science behind it. But yet, we look at all these strategies we supposedly have to engage in in order to grow our businesses. And you know, if we're not doing this one thing, we might as well pack up our toys, go home, and dust off our resume. Right. So what are three massive mistakes that creative entrepreneurs are making in their business? So we sort of talked around um, all of them a little bit, but to get a little bit more specific, I would Bring say... Bring it home for us. <laughs> the, the first one is that creative entrepreneurs in particular are really numb to their numbers. They don't know what their cost of doing business is. They don't really understand how much they're making. They're not paying attention to the ebb and flow. And and trust me, I, you know, I'll be brutally honest, I've made all of these mistakes. Yeah. You know, um, I, 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 I would hire people because I thought, oh, they're going to go out and do great sales and sell lots of advertising and it's totally going to be worth it. And didn't really look to see if I could actually afford to hire this person, you know. So, um, I think that biggest mistake they make is they're numb to their numbers. They don't want to know. They don't know what numbers to pay attention to, and they don't know what their cost of business is. So that would be um, mistake number one. Mistake number two is they don't have a plan in place. Creative entrepreneurs frequently dive in without any clear sense of where they're going. I did that. I thought, oh, I'll start a parenting magazine. How much fun will this be? And you know, But I didn't have an exit strategy. I didn't have a clear goal, either financially or just even sort of practically as a family, for what I wanted to create with this business. So then my business became this, this crazy rolling stone, Adam, that was like rolling down the hill, and I was chasing it. It grew very fast. <laughs> Um, and, but I wasn't leading it. I really was often, you know, feeling like I was scrambling trying to just keep up with the explosion that was happening. So I see a lot of creative entrepreneurs that are stumbling around feeling lost, overwhelmed, stuck, stuck, confused because they don't have a plan in place. They don't know where they're going. And so they end up chasing all those bright, shiny ideas. And then when none of them work, they just start working harder and doing more of the same thing. So, Having a plan in place is the number one secret to business success. And I bought that for so long, Adam. I did not want to have a business plan. I didn't think Mm -hmm. I needed one. And as a creative entrepreneur, a traditional business plan can be pretty painful to create. So in my book, I actually teach creative entrepreneurs how to design a one-page visual business plan that they can hang on the wall that's pretty, that has all the information they need to keep them on track for a 12-month period. And then the third mistake that I see a lot of creative entrepreneurs make is that they really undervalue their services. And because they undervalue their own services, they tend to underprice themselves. They don't have a clear sense of how to price or package their products and services. So they're working for pennies per hour. I was working with this one client who's a vocal coach, and she's brilliant at what she does. She's been in business for a long time. 
And she was kind of half-hearted about it, you know, and she decided she was really ready to ramp up her income. And she thought that what she was charging people, that she was averaging, I don't know, 50 to $75 an hour. When we sat down and looked at how much time she was actually spending with her clients and what she was giving them, she was making like 20 bucks an hour. So there was this real disconnect between the reality of what she thought she was making and what she was actually making. So understanding how to appropriately price and package your products and services is key to success. And it will help once you have that plan in place, it will help you understand how to price yourself effectively. So whether you're selling coaching or services or design or widgets and you know, greeting cards on Etsy, you've got to understand how to price things effectively in order to ever make any profit in your business. Right. So what I'm hearing is the three mistakes are being numb to your numbers, not yeah. having a plan in place, and not knowing your value. Exactly. Very clearly put. Great yeah. summary. Before Now, before we move on to the next thing, I, I'd like to develop this don't know your, their value a little bit further. Now, could a component mm-hmm. of this include having others tell you what your value are and believe it? Say that again. Okay. Let, in fact, let me say it a different way. Uh, I have seen cases where people in entrepreneurial situations make assessment about their own value based on what other people tell them they'll be willing to pay for it or by people saying, mm-hmm. oh, that's too expensive. Now, here's the thing that I notice when we just take that at face value. When you buy – Manette, when you go shopping, don't you want to pay the best price possible? You want to get you want yeah, to get you, you want know, to get great value. You want to get great yeah. value, but you don't want to pay a dime more than necessary. I mean, you're always <laughs> hoping that there's a discount. You're hoping there's a little bit of something. So, if people were taking pricing advice based on the words being spoken to them by the people that they're targeting to buy it, don't you think that mm-hmm. number might come in a little bit low? I do. I think it would very much come in low. And it it reminds me of the example that you shared at the very beginning of the call about the lady who got the intuitive download and said, don't change a word. I asked five of my friends and, you know, they all said it was a great idea. Right. So what happens, what I see happen with um, a lot of entrepreneurs, especially in the service industry. So this would be, um, again, any kind of healer, massage therapist, you know, even chiropractors. Um, coaches, consultants, is that they tend to compare themselves to what other people are doing. Right. They tend to look at the market and go, oh, I could never charge that much. You know, so-and-so is making $300 an hour, but, you know, I don't have any experience. I couldn't charge that much. Or they're asking people, what would you be willing to pay? And I did a survey to kind of test this. Um, where I sent out to everybody on my list, I said, I'm doing this survey and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to launch this project to teach you how to create a, you know, whiz bang, awesome, often product that really converts, right? So I was really curious and I said, what would you be willing to pay? 50 bucks, 150 bucks, I don't know, 300 bucks. And, you know, most people were like, well, I don't even have 50 bucks or I'd only pay, you know, so they picked in most cases the lowest common denominator, And, you know, in hindsight, some of the questions that I asked, I would have phrased differently doing it over again because people are going to definitely get away with paying the least amount of money possible. The ones that said they were willing to pay the higher price were the ones that understood the value of having an often 
you know, free gift for their website that actually converts, right? right? You're more of an expert at that than I am. But it was fascinating to see people's comments. And I hear this all the time. Um, I'm, I've been working with a local uh, woman just starting her business as an acupuncture practice. And she is very concerned about what other people in the community are charging. And I'm like, well, you know, there's some validity to what the market will bear. Right. But I said there also, it's more important, and this is what you very succinctly said before, if you don't own your own value, neither will anyone else. And you also said it, interestingly, when you were talking about new entrepreneurs being on the phone constantly, what happens is if you come across smacking of desperation and that you're trying so hard to get clients, Nobody want to work. Nobody wants to work with you right. if you have an, a sort of aura of desperation about you. They want to work with the people whose calendars are so full they can barely get you in. My hairdresser is right. a great example. She's getting so popular that I, if I don't schedule uh, my appointment, you know, six eight weeks out, I'm not going to get in to see her. Or if I have to change an appointment, it is so hard to get on her calendar. Right. She is a hot ticket right now and she raised her prices and she's still really full and so sometimes when we fail to see the great value and incredible results that we're achieving for our clients we're not confident asking for the money right and that confidence is the biggest piece of that so it has less to do with doing market analysis in comparison and more to do with that mindset piece that we've been talking about throughout the call yeah, I think you're, I think that's certain. And you, you know, raise a good point too about how people may come across as being desperate for clients. Uh, and part of where we see evidence of that is when people who are seeking clients go way too far to make themselves hyper available to everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, you can mm-hmm. call them up on the phone and no answer. Uh, people around me who work with me need to understand a couple of different things about my personality and the way I engage with my business. Um, the first thing is, is everything scheduled because I do not ever want my telephone to ring without it being an expected call. If, if my phone is ringing and I, that call is not scheduled, um, it better be an emergency is how I look at it. And that's the way that's that I, funny. That, I just don't yeah. answer the phone. Yeah. And, yeah, and, that, and that's the way, and that's the way that I interact with folks. As well, uh, my clients know that very rarely am I ever going to show up on their caller ID. Uh, they know it's almost mm-hmm. never going to happen. Uh, you know, unless there is actually a burning, um, emergence opportunity, whether, you know, good or bad. Uh, I mean, cause we, I've had to call some people because things were just going so good that I needed them to make a, a decision about something like whether to stop their launch early or whether to open more seats or what have you. I've had those kind of things happen. But the way I train people that work with me is um, 95% of the time, if I need to speak with you on the telephone about what we're doing, I'm going to send you an email that says, please go to my scheduler and put yourself on. Or if they have a scheduler, mm-hmm. I'll use their scheduler. Um, if I'm calling unscheduled, the idea is they know this is actually important. I'm not just calling to ask how the weather is in their neck of the woods. Right. And uh, that, that's, 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 that's the first piece. The second piece is, and this is just another reality, is whenever I am working on your thing right now, uh, that is when I'm most likely to be spontaneously available. And if it seems like you're trying to reach for me and it's taking me more than five minutes to respond, God forbid, it's probably because I'm giving somebody else a very hyper level of attention. That's just the way I do it. When I focus on something, I do one thing at a time, I do it very well, and then I move on. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's just, and that's you know, just, the, that's just the way it is. I, I just want to, yeah, make a distinction there that I really appreciate you saying that. There is this huge myth about women and multitasking. Right. That needs to just be busted. That in the cult of being busy. The truth is that when we are being most effective, most impactful and giving the best of ourselves, is when we're hyper-focused on one task at a time. Whether that task is sending an email, coaching a client, or talking to your daughter, you need to just really give up this idea that multitasking serves you at all. It really doesn't. It means that you don't do any of the tasks well and shift your focus to what is most important in the moment. I mean, ask my kids. And then my daughter is great because she'll come in and say, Mom, I'm hungry. When's dinner? I say, i got to finish this one email. And then an hour later, she'll come back, Mom. You said you just have to finish one email. You know, so she's great about reminding me, but they don't interrupt me either because they've been trained almost since birth that I work from home. My husband and I both work from home and our kids know. They come home from school. We give them our undivided attention. How was your day? We hear how everything went. And then everybody goes back to work. The kids to homework, us to focusing. And so, you know, really looking at the way, and this is back to, I loved what you said about spending eight hours at the computer and realizing you only did 45 minutes worth of work. I can waste a lot of time on Facebook and email if I'm not really careful. And I tend to check email quite frequently and it's often a waste of time. And so I've learned to shut it off if I have specific work. If I'm trying to write a blog post or I'm engaged on social media and really looking at connecting with people on Twitter or I'm sending out radio, you know, interview applications, then turn the email off and focus on the task at hand and you will accomplish so much more. I was working with a graphic designer who was complaining that she couldn't get any work done, any design work done during the day, and so she was staying up all hours at night. And when we looked at it, what would happen was, similar to what you said, so she might get an email from a client that said, Hey, proofs look great, but there's, you know, one little mistake. And she's like, oh, it'll only take me five minutes to fix that. So she'd fix it and then go re-email the proof back to the client for approval. And then she would do this throughout the day to all of a sudden she had used up all of her time. And so for her, we had to structure her time and get her to retrain her clients that she would not be that responsive, that she would respond within probably, you know, I would say four to six hours within the day they would get a response. But it wouldn't be quite so immediate so that she had to turn her email off and focus on her design work for three-hour chunks at a time so that she could actually make progress because those are her billable hours. Right. And all that stuff she was doing in email was tiny, insignificant stuff she could do when she was tired at the end of the day rather than in the morning when she was fresh and should have been doing her creative work. So it's a great example of how not to multitask and not to allow for constant interruptions. And I did notice in your email today, and I thought, that's so cool, I need to add that, about if you want to get a hold of me, the best way is to go and schedule time. And I really appreciated how clear you were because you set those expectations from the beginning. And as entrepreneurs, we have to learn how to set those expectations with our clients from the get-go. I was talking to another woman who has people texting her at 2 o'clock in the morning about the work. I'm like, I don't care if you're working at 2 o'clock in the morning, but please don't be emailing your clients or accepting texts from them. You know, I mean, it's just, uh, it really trains people to take advantage of our time, and it makes us look less than professional. 
Yeah, that, that's, very, that's very true as well. I mean, if you are working at 2 o'clock in the morning, God bless you if that's where your peak productivity is. But as far as sending emails to clients, my advice to give people is draft that email, put it in your drafts, and then in yep, the morning exactly. send it. Exactly. That's what I tell them too. Yep. Yeah, especially, especially when you're working out of a home office and people could call your business line at any time and you'll hear it ring. This was an adjustment mm-hmm. I had to make working from home is that uh, I would uh, be getting calls on Sunday night from clients and I'm thinking, who are these people and why are they trying to intrude on my life? But then mm-hmm. I recognized they weren't actually trying to intrude on my life. Maybe they, they, maybe, maybe they were just leaving a message thinking that, well, I don't really want to have a phone call with them. I just want to leave a message. And they were mm-hmm. deliberately calling at a time when they didn't expect me to answer. So that right. set me free to say, okay, well, these aren't my phone answering hours, so they can just uh, trot on right along to voicemail, and we'll pick them up on the next business day, which is uh, I'm just going to lead with the assumption that that was their expectation too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's true. That is the expectation. You know, I have clients – email me over the weekend when they're working on projects that need reviewing. They're not expecting me to respond. And, you know, I even had one client, you know, she did email me on a Saturday because she had one of her clients who was asking her to do work on a Saturday. And she's like, what do I say? And I said, just say no. No. Right? This is, you know, it's unacceptable. If you choose to work on projects over the weekend, great. But, again, don't email your clients. Don't take texts from them. You know, texting's made it – I love texting. Don't get me wrong. I adore texting. But it's made it a little bit too easy to have those quick conversations, and it's become the new email where we can waste a lot of time connecting with people via text. And so respecting – if we were going to add a fourth – you know, mistake that new entrepreneurs or creative entrepreneurs make. Yes, it's look being at a too force. responsive. Too responsive. Yeah, it's being yes. too responsive and not mm-hmm. managing their time effectively. Right. Precisely. See, I myself, um, I am not a fan of texting whatsoever, and uh, mm-hmm. and I try hard not to be accessible by text. I don't give my cellular number out. People, um, after they reach a certain level of relationship with me, will say, hey, any chance I could get your cell phone number? And I say, no, you call the toll-free number just like you would otherwise, and that rings all my lines. So if I'm answering mm-hmm. from... From my Skype line, I'll pick it up there. From answering from my home phone, I'll pick it up there. From answering from my cell phone, I'll pick it up there. It's, it's the same number. It's the same level of access, and I don't text. The only thing I use texting for is to share pictures of cats, and because we don't use, <laughs> and because we don't use doorbells anymore, to say I'm outside. Right. <laughs> that, that's that. that's about that's about about it. Other than that, I, I don't want to be uh, doing business over text. Now there are others out there that say that that's the best way to go about it, and if you can get your target cell phone number and you can send them a text, that that's going to be a great way to close deals. Yeah, and I, and I no, know people, I do. I will never yeah. use yeah. text marketing myself because I abhor receiving that kind of marketing. And, um, you know, right. the times when I use it might be if I'm running late or a client will text me that they're running late. That's fine. Um, you know, or if they have, hey, I, I sent you an email, I didn't get a response, you know, um, 
it's it's urgent. Can you help? And I can text back and say yes, no, maybe, or give me an hour, right? But um, yeah, it's pretty pretty minimal um, access. And I'm one of those people that I don't have an office phone. My cell phone is my office phone. I love that idea of the one eight hundred number. Yes. You know, um, we have a landline still, um, strictly because we get a bazillion calls from the kids' schools about right. meetings and fundraisers. You know, and I don't want those on my cell phone either. You know, so it, I think it's it is a, a just a conscious decision people have to to make. But you have to set the parameters for what's acceptable in your business, and whatever you decide is fine. It is so much like raising kids, Adam. Having a lot of clients, it's you have to set the expectations and manage those expectations and be really tight with your boundaries. If creative entrepreneurs, if we add number five to the list, where they lose money is being really loosey goosey with their time. Over-delivering on their services, delivering more, uh, allowing sessions to go longer than the person is paying for and then not charging more for the session. So not respecting their boundaries is another place I really, their own boundaries is another place I see creative entrepreneurs really struggle is they want, they're so, um, they want to deliver such great value and such great service that they, they tend to over-deliver and that is a lack of respect for themselves as well as for the client. If the client's paying for a one-hour massage or a one-hour coaching session, mm-hmm. stick to an hour. And I know that was a lesson I had to learn when I first started coaching. You know, I get engaged and I'm excited and people yes. are doing all these really cool things. It's easy yes. to stay on the phone for a really long time. Yes. And I've learned to be much more structured and respectful of myself and my clients respect that as well. And I'm not wasting their time either. Correct. Correct. I mean, this is going to go down as one of the more legendary episodes of the Business Creators Radio Show because our promise was three mistakes, and here we are, we're already up to five. We just keep making new ones. I'm going to have to invite you back every couple months, and we'll just double your value proposition just on the fly. I'm very happy to do that with you. Um, here's a, Now, when we talk about creativity, and I think that creativity and empathy tend to go hand in hand. Absolutely, and I just would what say you're saying. empathy... Yeah, so and em- empathy is an incredible gift, but it has to be managed well, especially for people that are in any kind of healing arts, which I would include um, life coaches in that category as well. Um, but anybody that's, you know, uh, somehow being of service to another person, which, you know, we say we are. Yeah. But when you are a genuinely empathetic person, you tend to also be incredibly generous, either energetically or emotionally. You know, you were talking about your beliefs at the the beginning of the show, and I believe in all that stuff, too. And I also believe that, you know, we have to really protect our energy, that our empathy can get us into trouble because we become too attached to the outcomes of what's happening for our clients and with our business. And so learning to be empathetic but protect your boundaries and there's lots of people that teach really cool energetic tools for, um, you know, protecting yourself from having leeches attached mm-hmm. to you. I know, you know, we're getting a little um, off track and more. No, weird, no, 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 no. This is important. No, you, you, I you, do you, find no. that. Yeah, you can't, you can't do the other stuff without understanding this. We're going just where we need to go. Proceed. Awesome. Yes. So creative entrepreneurs are sensitive, emotional connected. They're usually really into self-development, their own, and helping other people with their personal development. And because of that, again, it's that generosity. And it all goes back to the, the plan. It goes back to the underpricing. 
we become really nurturing and that nurturing can get us into trouble. So it's a beautiful thing to be empathetic. I'm, I'm very proud of a 15-year-old son who is so empathetic, right, except his little sister. Right. And But most of the time, you know, but he has to be really careful. He'll This is a great example. So he'll come home and he'll have this long-winded story about some kid that got into trouble at school or other kids were picking on and, uh-huh. you know, he was so mad and upset and sad and I'm like, are you in this story? Does this story have anything to do with you? You know, it's okay to be concerned, to express concern. It's awesome to stand up for other people. You know, um, when it comes to empathy in business, this is an interesting thing. I can't want your success more than you do. And where I think a lot of people get stuck is that we want our clients to have incredible results every single time. We want it to work beautifully for them. But, you know, kind of like the lady at the beginning who just wanted you to do it exactly like she wanted, even though it was wrong, right, right? or you knew it wouldn't work. It's that same thing. It's like we can't want it more than our clients want it for themselves. And so I would really caution creative entrepreneurs who are stepping out. And that empathy can get you into trouble if you are super creative and you're putting your gifts, your talents, you know, your babies out into the world, whether that's a blog post, a book, um, a beautiful painting, and you're putting it out into the world and opening yourself up for feedback, be careful. Protect yourself. You know, it, it takes um, – I have a friend that's a filmmaker, and she said, you have to just have, you know, a will of iron to withstand the onslaught of criticism that comes your way. Right. Not everybody's going to love us, right? Right, right, going to want right. to work with us. Oh, I know, I know, and I know we have about 13 minutes left here. There's a, a quick story I've been dying to tell. It happened to a business colleague of mine. Uh, this happened to them about three months ago. Uh, they had uh, somebody go to, and you know, like me, they have a setup on their website where persons can go in and schedule an appointment. Well, uh, we they first of all had a person who had to be, they had a person showing up on their radar screen who wrote to them through the company email address asking to schedule a time. And then the business manager had to coach this person through how to use the scheduler because that's how you come in. So my my colleague, uh, you know, the you know the appointment got scheduled. It was for I think uh, ten o'clock on a Thursday. So my colleague is you know organized as they are. They're sitting by their phone ten o'clock Thursday morning. Actually, it was it was designed to be a Skype call because um, you know it was booked for it to be on Skype. Everybody was clear that it was on Skype supposedly. So my colleague uh, nine fifty eight a.m. was on Skype waiting for this person. Person didn't show. Uh, mm. gave, you know, five minutes, uh, then made a courtesy, you know, attempted to make a courtesy call to the person through Skype, you know, just in case they forgot or got distracted. I mean, you know, if somebody has a scheduled appointment with me and they run five minutes over, I'll make a courtesy call to try and catch them and say, hey, you know, we have an appointment today, right? So they, so they tried to call the person through Skype. The person wasn't logged in. Uh, so <laughs> about 45 minutes later, this person writes, this person who's supposed to have the call, they write to my friend's business manager and they say, um, I was waiting for, I was waiting for her to call me. I'm not sure, uh, what's taking so long. I was wondering if they could call me so I don't have to go through the trouble of rescheduling. And, mm. uh, the business manager went to my colleague and my colleague said, no, no, they can reschedule or not. Mm-hmm. And so this person, uh, got all butthurt, as I like to say about it, and then uh, mm-hmm. wrote and then wrote to other people, or actually wrote to my colleague and then copied other people who were friends of my my uh, my colleague and said, you know, I had a scheduled appointment with you and you never called me and I'm not sure exactly how you do business, but I have a really bad impression of you. And meanwhile, my colleague is thinking, 
I have a pretty bad impression of you, too. You couldn't follow simple instructions, and then you blast me in, in public. So now there is a segment out there that would say, oh, my God, what did we do to offend this person? Mm-hmm. To me, it's pretty cut and dry. The person could not follow simple instructions. Be on Skype at 10 o'clock a.m. for a call. Especially when the colleague could pull up the emails that said, yeah. we're going to do this at 10 o'clock on Skype. Uh, right. Add me to your Skype. In fact, this person had, at, you know, this person who uh, did not show up for their call, how did mm-hmm. they not know it was going to be on Skype if the person had followed instructions to add my colleague on Skype? Right. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's like now, – now, now, unfortunately, I see entrepreneurs who would actually say, well, maybe we need to make our processes more user-friendly. Maybe we need to reach out to this person. I said to my colleague, no, you blow them off. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter who referred them or what name they have or what money they allegedly are ready to give you right away. Uh, if they can't mm-hmm. show up for a simple phone call and then they blame you for it. Now, if right. that person showed up on the radar screen saying, oh, my God, I totally forgot the appointment. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Is, it pos- mm-hmm. is it possible that Minette has some time for me now? I understand if I have mm-hmm. to reschedule, but I just want to take a flyer that even though I'm 45 minutes late, maybe she can see me now. Right. Now, yeah. if, now if somebody yeah. approached me with something like that, I'd say, mm-hmm. well, you know mm-hmm. what? I do have 15 minutes. Let's Let's get started. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but see, that's the problem I see with entrepreneurs, especially the creative types, is they will then start looking at, well, are our processes really user friendly? Yeah, I, th- I thought my colleagues' processes were just fine, and they screened out a Lulu. And you know, it's interesting because not everybody is tech savvy. Not everybody right. knows how to use Skype or the online schedulers um and you know so there's always some red flags around that right but people can learn right or they can say you know what i've never used skype before i would really prefer a phone call you know i had someone apply for a discovery session with me from australia and she said um you know i'm in australia so it'd probably be easier if we did skype with it that's okay with you and she put that in her form and i was so grateful because she made it so simple, she reached out and said, I want to talk to you, and, you know, I think this would be the best solution. You know, so really understanding that is really helpful. And I had a similar experience to your friend where yeah. I was inviting um, – I had somebody – we co-host a webinar. Right. And I had all this schedule up and everything on my site. And one of her friends, um, and it didn't say anything in any of the promotional materials about a replay, but it had all of the pertinent details about when to call in and how to call in. And this person got so annoyed because it didn't mention a replay. And I got that same kind of feedback. Well, I don't appreciate the way your friend does business. Even though as soon as she sent the email, we sent an immediate reply saying, yes, there'll be a replay. Here's when it'll be available. And we've been promoting this for a couple of weeks. And this person had only seen it a few minutes in advance and it was on, there was something else happening that day that they thought was, you know, more important than this call um, with this woman and I. And, you know, so they got their undies all in a twist. I was completely, actually the two of us were completely unaware that this local event was happening (laughs) or that it would interfere with this business call. And, you know, so I, I did not at all take it personally. I just sent a simple email saying, Here's the replay information. You can listen at your convenience, you know. So it's um, that empathy can get us into trouble because it tends to make us think that it's all on us. 
Right. And that it's our fault when the truth is we are doing our best. It's again, the analogy of parenting is a lot like parenting. We are doing our best and we don't always get it right. right. And sometimes we just rub people the wrong way. And it's not a statement of something's wrong with us. It's a statement of we just didn't jive with that particular person and that we don't want them as a client. Or as a follower, as a member of our tribe. You know, yeah. we don't want those dissenting voices. If, you know, if I don't resonate with you, then go find someone who does. There are so many coaches doing what I do. One of them is going to be perfect for you, and I'm okay if it's not me. Yeah, and, that, and that's how I look at it, too, because when I say no to something, I'm creating somebody else's yes. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't need to go through a huge justification of why I say no, in my opinion. Even if it looks right on paper and... Theoretically, it's exactly the type of thing we should be bringing into our business. Maybe I just don't have a real big hell yes feeling about either the client or what they want to do or something like that. Maybe it's just something I just, for reasons I don't articulate and don't feel the need to articulate, I just can't get my head wrapped around it. It's like, mm-hmm. I can't imagine myself waking up in the morning saying, oh goodness, I can't wait to finish breakfast so I can get to work on this. <laughs> so I just, so I just, so I just decline it, and uh, that's just how it is. And people have declined me, and uh, and I just respect their reasons. I say, okay, well, okay, cool, somebody else. Yeah, don't mean exactly. nothing. Don't There's, mean nothing. And, and you know, if, I think if we can say anything, you know, positive to the entrepreneurs, and you know, those I love the business creators out there. Yes, there is enough business to go around oh yes there is you know there is absolutely the more collaborative you can be the more that you can partner with people doing the exact same thing that you do the better i love partnering with other marketing and business coaches they do things differently than i do they have different energy different attitudes different approaches i work with a particular type of entrepreneur who's a visual kinesthetic creative learner i do not work well with People who are very, um, and I, I use a personality assessment a lot in my work, but they're detec- detectives, real cognitive, detail-oriented. They want all the nuts and bolts. I'm not a nuts and bolts kind of girl, you know. So I love having referral sources that are complementary to the work I do when I have a client who's not a match for me. There's somebody out there who is. So if you are feeling concerned about where and how to find business, have some faith. Have some faith. There's enough business for everybody, and don't be competitive, right? Be collaborative. And right. I have this, I'm on my second business now, right? And I built my whole first business by cooperating and working with other publishers in my community, with other people doing stuff in the parenting industry that people would have thought were competitors, and they weren't. They were incredible allies. Yes. And so look for those allies in your community, and you'll grow your business a lot faster. Yes, and what's very interesting about the Business Creators Radio Show is sometimes we get inspired and we end up uh, delivering a lot more than we originally promised. So this would be one of those, this would be one of those cases. And we have exactly three minutes left until the top of the hour. So uh, first of all, Minetta, I'd like to thank you once again for being with us. And I'd like you to take just one minute and share with our fellow business creators how you serve them and how they can get engaged since they find themselves on the edge of their seats wanting more. 
Awesome. Thank you so much for that. So I'd say the right now the best way to engage further with me would be to go to Amazon.com and look for my book, The Artful Marketer, The Fundamental Business Guide for Creative Entrepreneurs. That would be a great place to start. And in the book, there are links to my website, mindfulpatterns.com. The book comes with some incredible bonuses, a 90-minute webinar on how to create a one-page visual business plan, handouts, opportunities to connect with me. But I would really encourage people to get the book to start and um, really understand how to start paying attention to their numbers, how to fall in love with money, how to fall in love with marketing, and how to do it in a way that's fun, creative, playful, and really profitable. That's a lot of fun. So I would encourage all of our listeners to follow those steps and also be sure to check out Minette's profile on the Business Creators Radio Show, where we link to the website and the social media profile so that you can also engage with Minette that way. So again, thank you very much for stopping by and playing with us again here at the Business Creators Radio Show. It's always a pleasure to have you, and we'll certainly have you back again. Thank you. I'm always delighted to be here. Certainly. And for everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com. And be sure to check us out on iTunes, which is updated weekly, where every five-star rating is greatly appreciated and helps us help more business creators like you win at the game of business and marketing. Just do a search for Business Creators Radio Show. Until next time... Have yourself a great day, take care, and we'll see you next time. Bye now.